So, Psalms 1 through 72. <laughs> Do we have any new folks uh, that were not here last week? Uh, Ruben, you want to introduce yourself and whoever's, whoever's with you there? Okay, great. Welcome. Uh, anybody else new that wasn't here last week? I think I recognize everybody. For, I mean, I recognize everybody anyway, but um, okay, good. Uh, okay, so as we talked about last week, um, this is, uh, the we're studying the writings. Psalms is first. Um, there are 150 Psalms. We're going to do it in two weeks, so... Um, <laughs> uh, so, as I talked about last week, um, the, the intention of going through large sections of uh, the Old Testament the way we do it here is not to do a detailed exegesis of the entire thing, right? Um, so, you're not going to, if you're, again, managing expectations, you're not going to find that here. Um, where I would uh, actually encourage you <laughs> to look for something like that is our... Uh, our ministry partner, Jeff Kirkland, uh, he's a local church pastor here. I believe every Wednesday night he preaches through a psalm. So he's been doing that for a while now. You can find those online. Um, uh, Sarah and I went through eight of the psalms with the boys this summer, just, you know, Psalm 1 through 8. Um, you know, we take a week every summer and, or during the summer, every uh, once, a, once an hour every week. No, once a week. Every, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, um, and so we, we did that this summer, and uh, it's very, very good. So if you're actually looking for detailed exegesis of these psalms, that's a really great place to go. Uh, again, the, the point of this class is I'm trying to help you, uh, as New Covenant believers, be able to read the Old Testament and apply it to your life. Um, so we're going to do that. I'm gonna, my, my main intention is to help you understand how to read it on your own, okay? There will be some times where we stop down. Uh, read some passages. I will need some readers today, so if you're, you can clear your vocal vocal cords <laughs> now. I will need some some help with reading uh, some different passages. Uh, we will stop down at various times um, and uh, try to apply some of this to our lives. Um, I do want to mention again. Uh, we talked last week about how we're we're studying the writings. This is the Hebrew Bible order. Uh, Luke 24, Jesus says, uh, as he's uh, resurrected, Jesus is teaching through the Old Testament with his disciples, and he goes through the order at the time, which is um, the book of Moses or the Pentateuch, uh, the prophets, and then the writings. So I have that here. Uh, this, is, this is the Hebrew Bible. This is what um, uh, rabbinic Judaism, the Pharisees at the time, Jesus all saw as the Bible. Okay, so this is what we're studying through. Um, and uh, some of this I'm going to leave here as we get into it, um, but today we're going to do uh, so, uh, book one and book two. There are five books of Psalms, um, so as we talked about this last week, there's this kind of three-stage uh, scripture formulation that you can see from the text. Uh, the first one is composition, where, where the, the author is kind of gathering some source documents maybe and, and composing his psalm, writing commentary. Um, and so that, when we're applying this to the psalms, you can think of that as each individual psalm, right? If it is often at the top, it'll say that a psalm from such and such, psalm from David, psalm from Asaph, whoever. So that's each individual psalm is a composition. Um, and then that's, you know, of course, used, uh, you know, maybe in the, um, the temple or the synagogue or whatever in various times. Uh, canonization is the collection and recognition by the community. So at some point, um, we saw these psalms getting collected together. And this is probably uh, most likely during the exile. You can see these five books being collected together into a larger scroll and recognized by the community that this is from God. And so therefore we should, let's read from the second book of the Psalms, right? So it's, you see these collected into these five books. And then consolidation is final form for generations to come. This is it being put together into this threefold structure of the Hebrew Bible, okay? So what I would argue is that 
Well, the uh, Holy Spirit is sovereign over all of these things, and it's helpful to think through this because we can think of the Psalms as kind of um, what having in our Bibles, the Psalms are kind of like a second edition, right? Um, and that it's helpful to think through when we talk about the dating, right? Um, the Psalms were written by David and other authors. Their composition occurred at various stages as late as the return from exile, but the Psalms' complete compilation is thought to have taken place around 430 BC. So um, <coughs> most of the Psalms are written by David, but we don't really see the Psalms as a large collection uh, of these five books until very late, right? So we're talking 600 years after David, right? So it's helpful to think about, okay, yes, David is the author. Let's think about, you know, of this particular psalm. Let's think about his intentions here. Um, again, talking about interpretation. Uh, but it's also helpful to think about, okay, now we're in kind of this second edition of it where um, his psalm is being brought forward into a larger story, okay? So that's what we'll see as we go through and read the psalms together like this, um, is this kind of idea or concept, okay? So um, there, and again, I think there is a, what we'll see, what you'll see as we study through this is there's an intention behind the arrangement. There's an intention behind the arrangement of these five books, the collection, the way they're together, okay? So we're gonna do uh, the first two books this week and then we'll do the last three next week, okay? Um, okay, so let's jump in here. Psalms one through 19. Uh, Psalms one through 19. So Psalms begins with a contrast of the righteous and the wicked. Uh, the righteous are those that obey God's word. Now I have Joshua 1, 7, and 8 there. I'm going to talk about that in a second here. Uh, the Psalms then use royal language to speak of the reign of God's anointed. Isaiah 9 and 11, as well as Amos 9, 11 through 15, and Micah 5, 1 through 5, all speak of this reign over the nations. Other kings challenge the Lord's anointed. It's the blank there, Lord's, Lord's anointed. But God laughs at these challengers of the throne of David. Uh, let's get a volunteer to read Psalms 1 and 2. This is... Um, yes, if you, if you do not hear anything these two weeks, please hear this. The best way to understand the Psalms is chapter one and two. Like just that, this, this, these chapters are programmatic for understanding all 150. That makes sense, okay? So yeah, could I have a brave volunteer to read, what is this, uh, 18 verses? Psalms one and two, yeah. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and in whatever he does he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. One, two. Yes. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. 
for his wrath will soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Awesome. Thank you. So, um, so again, to summarize, <clears throat> chapter 1, Scripture leads to righteousness. And Psalm 2, this righteousness leads us to the Messiah. Okay? So it's not, make no mistake, Psalm 2 is as messianic as it comes. Okay? There is a prophecy about the Messiah and the righteousness that comes through him. So um, we actually see this, again, I, I, I want to kind of prove this to you. We see this again and again throughout the Psalms, this pattern of Psalms 1 and 2. Um, God's righteousness, his will in his word that leads us to righteousness, and this righteousness comes through the coming of the Messiah. So you've got Psalm 1, Psalm 2, Psalm 19, Psalm 21 and 20, 20 and 21, Psalm uh, 119, Psalm 120 through 133. So we see this pattern. First, it'll talk about the righteousness that comes through the Word of God. Then right after that, this righteousness leads us to the Messiah. So this pattern again and again and again. That's why I say if you, you really want to understand the Psalms as a totality, Psalm 1 and 2 is programmatic for understanding that. Okay? Um, okay, so let's also talk about how this connects with the entirety of Scripture. When we talk about this idea of consolidation, okay? Um, uh, do we have time? No, we don't have time. Okay, so I'm, you're, we're not going to be able to read all these passages, but I want to kind of just talk through what we're talking about here, okay? Um, we just read this, Psalms 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So this is, and it actually says there in verse 3, he is like a tree of planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And all he does, he prospers. Now this, in the Hebrew Bible, comes right after Malachi 4, the very end of the prophets. And Malachi 4 says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him, at horror for all of Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. So we have this kind of prophecy about uh, the Elijah the prophet returning and bringing this great, and he uses the word terrible day, where these amazing things are going to happen and, you know, you kind of think of this as the day of the Lord. God will uh, manifest himself in an amazing and miraculous way at some point in the future. But right after that, we have this uh, message about Scripture, right? Meditating on the Word of God day and night. So this is a, as um, those in the exile, when they're seeing these things together, are seeing this, as a, yes, we are anticipating the return of Elijah. We are anticipating this, uh, this miraculous time to come, the day of the Lord to come. But here in the exile, let's read the Psalms. Let's focus on the Word of God. Let's focus on the righteousness that comes from the Word of God. Let's be men and women of wisdom. That's what it says, right? So we've got this idea of wisdom in the midst of waiting for this day of the Lord to come, okay? Um, what we actually see is the other section transition within the Hebrew Bible is very similar. Joshua 1, 1 through 9 is very similar language to Psalms 1, 1 through 3. It actually presents Joshua as the man of wisdom who meditates on the, uh, the, the, the book of the law day and night. And so the righteousness uh, that is sought here comes from the scriptures. And that is actually very similar. It comes right after the end of the Pentateuch, which is a prophecy about the day of the Lord. The prophet who will be like Moses is to come, and he brings the great and terrible power that Moses does. So we've actually got a prophecy about the Messiah here and the day of the Lord to come. 
at the end of the Pentateuch. We've got another prophecy about the return of Elijah and the great and terrible day of the Lord, that at the end of Malachi. And then at the beginning of the next two sections, we've got this challenge to focus on the Word of God. So you've got this kind of idea of um, you know, almost uh, wisdom replacing prophecy while you wait in anticipation for the prophet, the prophet who is like Moses, the Messiah, to come. So in anticipation of his coming, focus on the word of God. And so that is essentially through this kind of three-stage scripture formulation, we actually see that as a theme throughout the Hebrew Bible. We're anticipating the coming of the Messiah. We're anticipating the prophet who precedes the Messiah. We're anticipating the day of the Lord. But in the midst of that, let's focus on the word of God. This is how we get through our day to day. This is how we glorify the Lord. We're, we're men and women of wisdom who meditate on the word of God day and night. Okay? So you can see how, you know, the, the messages of each of these individual passages and books are not swallowed up in any way. But this is a, through the consolidation of it by someone 4th century BC, someone's consolidating all this together and trying to give you this message like, while you wait for the day of the Lord, focus on the word of God. Okay? And so that's actually also something we can, as New Covenant believers, we can also take that to heart, right? Our focus should not be on, well, well what, what great and amazing miracles or whatever. And now, if God wants to do that, great. But that should not be our focus. Our focus, while we wait for now the return of the Messiah, our focus should be on the Word of God. So um, we're not looking for new revelation, right? This is when, when the Mormons come to my door, this is the kind of stuff I talk about with them, right? Like, the, the New Testament ends with us anticipating the return of Christ. And while we wait for the return of Christ, we should be focusing on the scriptures. We're not looking for a new prophet who brings us new revelation. That's not, that's not what the New Testament leaves us with, right? So um, I think this is a very important kind of uh, um, theological theme that we get when we read the entirety of the Hebrew Bible together, okay? Any questions or comments about that before we jump back into Psalms? I just want to, you know, kind of give us a some, some larger canonical context as we get here uh, into the Psalms and the point of Psalms. You're smiling. Because I have a question, but I can wait. Okay. I don't know that it's necessary. Okay. <clears throat> any, any other questions, comments before we jump back in? Okay, cool. Uh, all right, let's go, uh, let's see, so uh, middle of the, uh, well, not middle of the paragraph, uh, just a few, verse, uh, few lines in here. Uh, we got David then prays a prayer of trust in God, seeing him as his security. He then prays a prayer of protection from the wicked and a prayer for mercy during times of trouble. Dave, David then sings to God asking him to defend him against the wicked. He then praises the, the Lord's glory, saying, quote, O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. He then gives a psalm of thanksgiving for God's justice. David also prays for the overthrow of the wicked. He asks God to not forget the afflicted. So this section, this uh, little section here, the last couple chapters there um, that we just paraphrased through, um, this is the section of Psalms related to David's fleeing from his son Absalom um, and the news of, of Absalom's death. So this is, uh, you know, the historical record is recorded in 2 Samuel 15 through 18, if you're interested in that. Um, so this what we're starting to get a picture of this, you can really kind of title um, this book here. The title of this, I would say, is um, David's Rise Through Affliction. That's really the theme of, of this first book, and that does not work. 
David's rise through affliction. I'll try to give you kind of a, a good theme for each of these as we go through them. But this, that's kind of the best way to think of these first 41 um, psalms is David's rise through affliction. Okay, let's keep going here. Uh, we're into chapter 11 here, if you're following along in, the, in your Bibles. Um, David writes another psalm, this one praising God as a refuge and a defense. He says that God loves righteousness. He then proclaims him as a helper and defeater of the treacherous. He speaks against those with flattering lips, saying that God speaks with pure words. David prays for help in trouble. That's the blank there, help in trouble, bless you. Um, that's all right. So at times he's, he's already kind of focused on the future with Psalm 2 and some other instances here. I think he's more speaking about God's present comfort during trial. So God prays for help in trouble. This is uh, chapter 12, 5 through 8. Uh, he pleads to God and says, quote, My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. He then proclaims the folly of men, saying that the fool says that God does not exist. He looks forward to the salvation of Israel that will come out of Zion. Now he's focusing on the future again. This is 14.7. Uh, uh, he describes the citizen of Zion as one, quote, who walks with integrity and works righteousness. This citizen, quote, honors those who fear the Lord. He does not. He who does these things will never be shaken. David describes God as his portion in life and deliverer in death. He says, quote, I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. That's the big blank there. Instructs me in the night. I have set the Lord continually before me. David prays for protection against his oppressors, saying he has called upon him and wants him to, quote, deliver my soul from the wicked with your sword. Uh, David speaks after the death of his enemies and his deliverance from Saul. Uh, so the, this first book contains a lot of these kind of laments, right, about, um, you know, the troubles that he's having with his enemies like Saul. Um, so it has a lot of these, these types of things here in, in the first book. Uh, he, refer, he refers to God as, quote, my rock and my fortress and my deliverer in whom I take refuge. He says that despite what faced him, he was able to call upon the Lord. He who was able to save him. He says that he has been saved because he has kept God's ways and commands. He says that God's way, way is blameless and again refers to him as a rock and fortress. He says that God has brought him salvation and praises his name. David then praises the works and word of God. He says that God's creation speaks of his glory. Uh, could I get a volunteer here? Uh, Psalm 19, 1 through 6. Any brave volunteers? And then in a second, I'll need uh, somebody else to read 19, 7 through 14. Okay, 1 through 6. The heavens are telling the glory of God, and their expanses declaring the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech. There are no words. Their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun. Mm, which good. Is as, no, sorry, good. keep going. Which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. 
Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from the heat. Awesome. Uh, okay, and then so that's, he says that God's creation speaks of his glory. And then here in these next few verses, he praises the endurance and effectiveness of God's word. Can I get a volunteer read 7 through 14? Yeah. Uh, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold, yes, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them thy servant is warned. In keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors, acquit me of hidden faults. Also keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. Then I shall be blameless, and I shall be acquitted of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Awesome. Thank you. So we've got this first six verses, picture of his revelation through his creation. And then here in these eight verses, this, uh, his revelation of himself through his word. Okay, and that's continuing the theme, the righteousness that comes through the scriptures uh, from Psalm 1. Okay, so uh, he asked God to keep him from both hidden and presumptuous sins. the blanks there, hidden and presumptuous. Uh, God work, God's works point to God, but his word reveals his specific guidance. Paul in Romans 1, 18 through 20, discusses the glory of God revealed to all, while Psalm 118 expounds upon the grace of God, which is to be learned from God's word. So it got its possible significance here, um, or possible application to our lives. As New Covenant believers, David's devotion to God and his revelation provides an excellent example for us to follow. David consumes his thoughts with God by continually setting God before him. He does this by following God's special revelation and not just his works. Um, so some questions here. I'll just open it up. Have you, have you made an effort to continually set your mind on God? What does that look like? How would that involve seeing his mark on and in the world? How would that involve his word? I think many of these Psalms, especially the Davidic ones, are written as an example for any faithful believer at any time, right? I mean, this is, uh, I think we can all, um, we can all identify with times of affliction and trial, and the example that he gives us by his focus here is a great example for us. So any, any thoughts anybody like to share here? You're going to make an effort to continually set your mind on God. It has to involve the reading of His Word. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm, I'm really yeah. big on that uh, entertainment is just a sin of this age. Mm. And uh, <clears throat> as opposed to the common Joe in biblical times had no source of. Yeah. of what we would consider to be entertainment today, not even books. Yeah. And, uh, and so, you know, to the extent that we're uh, given over to that sin, we're zero uh, continually setting our mind on God. Yeah, right, right. There's certainly a lot of challenges today uh, to doing that, for sure. Anybody else? Yeah. I think scripture memorization is a big part of this. I think that, like, if it says to meditate on your law day and night, like, it's, we don't always have our Bibles open in front of us, even at work. Hmm. Like, I think what it says, what, how does that involve seeing his mark on and in the world? Like, I think a lot of that is having scripture in your heart and being able to see a situation that's happening before you without having the Bible open and applying the word that is already hidden in your heart hmm. as the Spirit prompts you, hmm. like, applying that to your life. Hmm. Yeah, good. 
Okay, uh, let's keep moving here. Uh, Psalms 1, or sorry, 20 through 30. Do another 11 chapters here uh, in this next section. Uh, so David again prays for victory over his enemies. That's the blank there, over his enemies. And praises God for deliverance. In both instances, he affirms his faith in God during times of trial, proclaiming that God saves his anointed. Here we go again, saving his anointed, the speech about the anointed. Again, we have, we have this pattern. Psalm 1, his word. Psalm 2, through the Messiah. 19, his word. Here's 20 and 21, talking about the anointed one, the, the Messiah. Okay? Um, he states that the king trusts in the Lord. David then expands on the theme of suffering with a cry of anguish. Saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He also claims to be mocked and going through physical torment. Um, he actually addresses the congregation in 22, 23, um, about the afflicted one of verses uh, 1 through 22 of chapter 22. So there is an element here of, even in, in his own psalm that he's composing, that he knows he's not actually, he is a, an afflicted one, but he's not actually the afflicted one, right? There is an element of him, David, actually understanding uh, the concept of the future Messiah here, okay? Um, he then gives a song of faith and praise, showing his confidence in God's deliverance and his certainty that all the nations will come to God. To him, his suffering, or the afflicted one's suffering, will lead to the furthering of the kingdom of God. That's the blank there. Lead to the furthering of the kingdom of God. Uh, his lament is a statement of faith. Um, let's look at Psalm 22 and 23 here. Psalm 22, 1 says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And let's skip over to 23 through 28. Can I get a volunteer read 23 through 28 of um, chapter 22 here? Yeah. You who fear the Lord, praise him, all you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or disdained the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you will I fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. They will seek the Lord. They who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Awesome. Thank you. So we actually see, I think especially there, 26 through 28, that the furthering of the kingdom comes through the affliction of the afflicted one. So... Um, you can, again, you can really see his lament here as a statement of faith. And then, um, so Jesus also cries out on the cross, even citing Psalm 22, 1, right? We know when he says this on the cross, my Lord, my Lord, why have you forsaken me? Um, or my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Um, so I don't, uh, that, <laughs> this is theologians debate over what's actually happening here, um, on the cross in this moment, uh, is, is there, uh, a, you know, some would say, well, there is this brief moment where he's actually, uh, you know, 
turned away from Christ. You know, th this is, we're not going to solve this here in five minutes, but um, this, this is, of course, debated much. But I, I think it's important to note here, when he's quoting this psalm, he's not, there, there's something more than Christ simply saying, oh, God, you've turned away from me, and this is something I didn't expect, right? Like he's, he's quoting Psalm 22, the passage about the afflicted one, and the afflicted one sees the glory of God and the furthering of the kingdom through his affliction. So him quoting that is more than just, it's, I think we can at least say that, right? This is more than Jesus feeling like he's being abandoned by his father, right? There's more to it than that. Yeah. Um, I have heard, I can't remember who now, but respected theologians and pastors yeah. teach that uh, the, since the Psalms were not numbered at the time, the way to reference a specific Psalm was to say the first line. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was him, his way of saying Absolutely. Psalm 22. Absolutely. It the yeah. Of it. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think that's all. I mean, and, and, and just in general, when we make any time the, the, the New Testament writers or Jesus are quoting the Old Testament, they're quoting it within context, right? They're assuming that whoever's hearing or reading is, knows the context, right. knows so the greater you, context. They yeah. They say a phrase, you're going to yes. remember the entire psalm. Yes. Yes, yes, yeah, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. And then how we tie it up with the redemptive path of Christ, the Messiah. Yeah. So it's like, if I were to read here, I, I don't have enemies. You know, like the, the Chaldeans and the Arameans are not after me or even Saul. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have those live enemies. But here, my sin in this context now and the God <coughs> in, in the world, they are just running after me. So deliverance and following scriptures. I struggle with this ambivalence of how David saw this as a prophet, I guess. I mean, yeah, yeah the Messiah coming. Yeah. yeah I, 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 I think, yeah, I think, um, you know, if, it, if it's in a vacuum, yeah. it's a little bit harder to see. But I think the connection um, that we can make with, the, the, again, the larger context of all of this in Psalms, um, including, you know, this consistent talk about saving his anointed and then you know it seems that he has an idea where at times he's referring to the anointed as not being himself right as actually being somebody in the future and then you connect that back to psalm 2 mm -hmm. which is clear i mean he's writing that psalm he's clearly not speaking about himself there so i think that we can make these connections i think i think david's making these connections and certainly i think um you know, those that are recognizing these psalms and placing them together are are seeing these connections as well. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. For me, I, it's helpful for me to remember that we really have one true enemy, and mm. that's Satan. Yeah. And so we can take psalms and look at that and reflect on how Satan is our true enemy tries to afflict us and tries to hinder us and tries to compromise our integrity and all of those other things in his battle against our righteousness. Mm. Yeah, 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 it's good. Okay, uh, so let's see, uh, where were we? Mocking of Christ goes through, okay, so Jesus also cries out on the cross, even citing. Psalm 22.1, the mocking Christ goes through is reminiscent of the mocking David endures here, or the afflicted one who's referenced here. Um, David then states, quote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He speaks of the king of glory, that's the blank there, the king of glory, the Lord of hosts who enters Zion. Obviously, this is messianic. Um, 
so he enters Zion and he enters the temple. This is uh, 24, 7 through 10. Um, we can see, I would say, a, a, a very uh, direct connection with Zechariah 9, 8 through 9, the Messiah entering through into Jerusalem. Um, he asks God for several things, including protection, guidance, and forgiveness for his sins. And he proclaims his own integrity, asking God for vindication because of it. And he again speaks of God's protection, telling God that he loves the habitation of your house. Uh, David proclaims his trust in God, saying, quote, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? He asks to, quote, dwell in the house of the Lord for his whole life. David prays for help and praises him for hearing the voice of my supplication. He also speaks of the voice of the Lord, saying it is powerful and majestic. He gives thanks for deliverance from death, saying he will, quote, give thanks to you forever. So again, this book is about David's deliverance and rise to power despite um, the affliction that he's enduring. Okay, uh, so let's talk about possible significance here. We should follow the example of both David and Christ during times of suffering and trial. These situations can be an opportunity to further the kingdom of God. So we've already kind of talked about this a little bit, but have you ever viewed your suffering as an opportunity to further the kingdom? Does it help to be able to identify with Christ in this way? I mean, the most obvious um, New Testament passage that we can all think of, I'm sure, is Romans 8, 28-29. It's through the suffering that we endure, God is working all things to good. What is the good? Well, the good is to make you more like Christ. Mm -hmm. So we don't often think, especially in the moment, that it is good. Um, But if his intention is to make us more like Christ, then we can see God working through all things. Um, so I think that, that's a kind of a good, you know, kind of New Testament clear application of or um, uh, furthering of this principle. So any thoughts here? Ever viewed your suffering as an opportunity to further the kingdom? Or uh, does it help to be able to identify with Christ in this way? Any thoughts? Okay, uh, let's keep moving. Uh, Let's see, Psalm uh, 31 through 41. We'll finish this first book here. Uh, David then gives a psalm of complaint and one of praise. He says, quote, Into your hand I commit my spirit. You have ransomed me, O Lord. Ransom me. It's a blank there. Ransom me, O Lord, God of truth. He says that he is in distress and in grief and that God is good, and that he preserves the faithful. Uh, David's attitude is continually presented as an example for the reader. So he then talks about the forgiveness that God has given him, saying that after he, quote, acknowledged my sin to you, you forgave the guilt of my sin. He instructs others to follow God and trust him. 
The psalmist praises God for being the creator of the heavens, the waters, and the earth. He also praises him for his counsel, which stands forever. Uh, David says that he, quote, will bless the Lord at all times because he delivered him. He prays for continued rescue from his enemies, asking him to, quote, not let, me re let them rejoice over me. And this is, these are more psalms written during David's trials. This is, uh, includes um, him fleeing from Saul, um, pretending to be insane with Abimelech, the priest. Uh, so you can, see, you can read more about this in 1 Psalms uh, 21. Uh, sorry, Psalms. 1 Samuel, thank you, 21. Uh, okay, so let's see. Uh, he then contrasts the evilness of men with the loving kindness of God. Saying it extends to the heavens. David instructs the reader to trust God and quote, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. He also, yes, yes, very misinterpreted passage. Uh, he also encourages committing to and resting in the Lord he says that the righteous will not be ashamed because they are preserved forever. David prays because of his suffering, saying that he is uh, benumbed and badly crushed. David speaks about his sin and his attempts to flee it. Uh, he then speaks about God's sustaining presence. saying, quote, he brought me up out of the pit of destruction and out of the miry clay, and he set my feet upon a rock. He says that God does not desire sacrifices, so David has delighted in God's will. Uh, David finishes the first section by reviewing how one is blessed and discussing God's deliverance. Uh, 41.9, he mentions betrayal by a close friend. Um, Ahithophel in 2 Samuel 15.12 is probably what's being referred to here, I believe. Um, yeah, so uh, let's see. And again, this goes back to the theme of this book, David's Rise Through Affliction. Uh, he also praises God for his care for Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Okay, book two. Let's start with 42 through 50. The next book of the Psalms is begun with a lament by the psalmist. He is searching for God, saying, quote, As the deer pants for the water brooks, so my soul pants for you, O God. I don't know if you've seen online, but you can buy... Pants with deers on them, deer pants. I've always wanted to get those. Um, uh, he is in despair and asks God for vindication. What's the theme of the second book? Uh, I'll get there in a second. Good question, though. Uh, the psalmist moves on to present national troubles, wondering where God is in their affliction and oppression. So these, these psalms, this book starts with these, uh, the prayers of the sons of Korah. Uh, Korah is a, a, a character in Numbers from the tribe of Levi. Um, and then we start, uh, we have in, uh, Psalm 50 is a uh, psalm of Asaph. So we're starting to get a lot of these kind of psalms that are not uh, written by David. Um, okay, so the psalmist moves on to present national troubles, wondering where God is in, the, in their affliction and oppression. God has not totally abandoned them, as the king has still been given a queen and a throne. Further encouragement, that's the blank there, further encouragement comes from the psalmist who proclaims God as uh, the righteous, sorry, proclaims God as the refuge of the people, saying, quote, the God of Jacob is our stronghold. Uh, could I get a volunteer? 
read uh, Psalm 46, 1 through 7. Psalm 46, 1 through 7. Yeah, Gerald. Psalm 46, 1 through 7. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at a break of day. Nations are in an uproar, kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Okay, thank you. Um, so he reassures by stating that God is still king of all the earth. And in verse 8 it says he reigns over the nations. So this kingdom includes Gentiles, which we saw uh, in the book of the 12, the minor prophets, if you studied that with us in the fall. Uh, so let's see, chapter, uh, uh, Psalm 48. Next comes a song about the glory of Zion, God's holy mountain. Uh, the psalmist warns about trusting too much in earthly riches and materials. These things are able are unable to ransom one's soul, and earthly things cannot be taken unto death. This reminds me of the Sermon on the Mount. Do not store for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal. Um, the psalmist uh, does more reassuring, saying that God will still judge the righteous and the wicked. Uh, 49.15 really speaks to the afterlife which is interesting. Um, you know, if you remember the, the, the context of where Jesus, when Jesus came, the context was Pharisees had the influence among the people. Sadducees had more power in the Sanhedrin. Um, the Sadducees held the book of the law, the Pentateuch, as scripture and the rest of the Old Testament, they did not hold to um, as being recognized as authoritative like the Pharisees did. So one of the reasons that the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection and eternal life in the same way the Pharisees did is because the Sadducees, you know, because the Pentateuch really doesn't speak about that. Uh, we do have some very distinct references to it, though, in the Prophets and the Psalms. In the writings, this is one example. Okay, a brief, brief uh, <laughs> uh, excursus there, free of charge. All right, all right. Uh, the psalmist does more reassuring, saying that God will still judge the righteous and the wicked. He says that He will gather, quote, those who have made a covenant with Me. He may seem hidden at times, but He will indeed fulfill His promises, and be there for those who continue to seek him. Okay, so um, possible significance for us here. Uh, this section of Psalms teaches about God's presence. Sometimes he may seem hidden, but those who desire him must trust that he is there and will continue to be there for them. Again, these, there's some of these things, some of these themes, God, his relationship with people. I mean, these are things that just apply to all believers, including us. So we can take it and try to apply it to our lives. Have you ever sought God and wondered where he was? How do the Psalms encourage us in these times? Any thoughts here? We're, we're often just uh, counseled to, to wait on the Lord. Hmm. <clears throat> that's what that's about. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I don't know that I've wondered where he was, but I've definitely asked him, are you watching? Hmm. Like, Sometimes it, I know the truth that he's watching, but I've definitely like asked him. Mm -hmm. You know, are you are you even watching this? Mm. Yep, it's good. I think I'm more likely to think, why aren't you doing things the way I want them to be? <laughs> <laughs> yep, that's good. All right, uh, in the interest of time, let's keep moving here. It's all very good. Thank you. Um, Psalms 51 through 58. Now we're returning back to Davidic Psalms. 
Now, uh, we asked about the theme here. I would say a uh, good theme here is, is David's reign, okay? This is his reign as king. Um, I think that even though those psalms we just went through were not written by David, they still kind of apply um, and they fit with this, this, and you'll see this as we continue on here. His reign is not all, uh, you know, flowers and, you know, it's not this just great without any trouble, right? So um, it is about his reign, but there's, uh, it's about the presence of God and his ability to help uh, David in, during his reign. That, those are important parts of this. So, okay, so Psalm, uh, what are we doing here? 51 through uh, 65, okay? So David asks God for forgiveness after his sin with Bathsheba. Uh, he says, quote, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is what repentance looks like, Psalm 51. I often will refer to this if I'm counseling someone and there's this, you know, that really they really need to be challenged with what true repentance looks like, right? True repentance is not... Um, I don't know, earthly remorse, right? Oh, yeah, I'll say I'm sorry because, you know, I just need to. There's an earthly consequence here. Psalm 51 gives us, I think, the best example in Scripture of what true repentance looks like um, and can be painful to read. <laughs> it can be. Um, okay, so David is expressing the future hope of the new covenant, uh, which we've studied here in the prophets. Uh, because of his sin, God is absent from David. Uh, the psalmist questions the usefulness of, um, what do I have here, uh, boasting by the evil. The psalmist questions the usefulness of boasting by the evil, saying, quote, God will break you down forever. He also questions men who say that there is no God, calling them fools. Psalmist prays for defense against enemies and for the destruction of the, of the evil. He is troubled by wicked. Troubled by wicked who, quote, bring down trouble upon me. He asks for deliverance and says, quote, in God I put my trust. I shall not be afraid. David prays for rescue. While he flees from Saul, he says, quote, in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge. He also prays for the punishment of the wicked. He says that the, quote, righteous will rejoice when he sees the vengeance. David is urgently asking for God's help during these times of crisis, during his times of crisis. Okay, uh, we're jumping in here to uh, Psalm 59. David continues his pleading with God for help in his time of need. He prays for deliverance from his enemies, asking God to, quote, destroy them that they may be no more. Uh, so David actually asks God not to bring judgment too quickly because he wants there to be a lesson for the godly who are observing. So he wants them to be able to observe it and learn. Um, that men may, may know that God rules in Jacob to the ends of the earth. He laments over his struggles with his enemies, saying, quote, O God, you have rejected us. But he cries out to God for help as well. David is confident in God's protection, saying, quote, you will prolong the king's life. Uh, so he furthers this with, quote, um, his years will be many generations. He will abide before God forever. This is 61, 6 through 7. So he's clearly speaking about the Davidic covenant, the promise to make a, an everlasting line through David. So David affirms that not only that, sorry, David affirms that God, that only God is a refuge during his times of trial and oppression. 
quote, he, he only is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. David says his soul is satisfied not by water, but by God. He adds a prayer for deliverance from enemies who mean to do him harm in secret. He says, uh, David says, they devise injustices. He brings a song before God, saying he will be satisfied in God's presence. God creates and provides everything that the earth needs. David is in many different settings, but is always confident that God is able to save him in any situation. Okay, so that's uh, through 65. Uh, let's uh, talk about significance here. And actually, uh, could I get a volunteer to read Psalm 61, 1 through 4? 61, 1 through 4, those four verses. I can read. Okay. Hear my, God, my cry, O God. Give heed to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge. For me, a tower of strength against my enemies. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me the inheritance of those who fear your name. You will prolong the king's life. His years will be as many generations. He will abide before God forever. Point loving kindness and truth that they may preserve him. So I will sing praise to your name forever, that I may pay my vows in my name. Awesome. Thank you. So. Significance here, David's cries of distress and his faith teach us about God's abilities. He's able to help in any situation. There's nothing in our lives that he cannot handle. We should call upon him for anything. So I'm going to leave these questions for you to ponder because we're over time. Uh, do you ever think that a situation is too much for God? Do you ever think that a situation is too insignificant for God? How can we continually remember to, to rely on God in all situations in life? All right, let's finish up with Psalms 66 through 72. Um, 66 through 67, these are anonymous Psalms. 68 through 71, uh, David again. And then I believe 72 is actually Solomon. So we're, this book, again, second book is David's reign, right? Covers David's reign uh, up into Solomon. So uh, the psalmist gives a series of songs that discuss the history of Israel says that God turned water into dry land in Exodus, tested the people in the desert, brought them into the land, and gave them the temple. All these magnificent things are supposed to uh, instigate worship in the people. He exhorts all to praise God, asking God that, quote, that your way may be known on the earth, your salvation among all nations. David says that God led and protected the people in the wilderness. The God of strength is one who protects and defeats enemies. David cries out to God saying, save me, O God, as his enemies have risen up against him. He humbles himself, admitting his own dishonor, and again appeals to God for salvation. He says that heaven and earth should praise God, for God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah. So again, the Davidic kingdom is in play here. It's in mind here, the Davidic kingdom in its fullness. Uh, the promise of Psalm 2. Again, we saw the prophecy about the Messiah. Uh, righteousness coming through the Messiah. This promise will see its ultimate fulfillment in Zion. So you can kind of connect this end of book 2 with uh, the beginning of Psalms. Um, so God will save Zion and build the cities of Judah that they may dwell there and possess it. David prays for help against persecutors. Uh, an old man prays for help as well, telling God that he is the confidence in, from my youth. He describes how he will praise God with instruments shouting from his lips and speech all day long. The second section of Psalms ends with a prayer about a new king that will serve God. 
Solomon is rising to power. The throne will endure and will have dominion in the world. He will judge righteously and deliver the needy. David's son is ascending to the throne, which will continue the Davidic covenant. So Solomon's psalm continues the theme of salvation through the Davidic son. Um, it's, salvation clearly doesn't come through Solomon. He's not the anointed one. We'll see that as we continue to read. Uh, we saw that in the, the kings as well. Um, however, he's looking forward to the Messiah uh, to come. So, uh, okay, so we'll, we'll keep going through this. We'll do the next three books next week. Um, these two weeks, this week and next week, are when we're going to go longer because we're trying to get through all the Psalms. So it won't be like this every single week, I promise. But we're just going to try to start early next week. So thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.